0: As both Jessica and Zena have pointed out, this has been a week. And I'm not sure if it was the weather or the gray skies, if it was the news out of Ukraine and everywhere else, if it was the loss of Avis, who always sat right down here. And on that rare occasion, when I would say something profound or compelling, she would let out a simple Amen. Just know that that job is now available to anyone who wishes. But it is good for us to be together in the presence of God and the presence of one another, whether you are joining us online, whether you have navigated the marathon route to get here this morning, uh, however you are here, it is indeed good for us to be together, especially in times like this, to surround ourselves with love and acceptance and grace and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are indeed loved and a part of something bigger than ourselves. According to the liturgical calendar, the calendar of the church, today is what's known as Transfiguration Sunday, which sort of serves as a a pivot between the season of Epiphany, which we just wrapped up last week, and the season of Lent, which begins this coming week. in Transfiguration Sunday always centers around this story that we're about to hear. Now, here's what you need to know. I, I said recently as I stood up to preach that in introducing the Scripture, this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And somebody came to me afterwards as I was standing outside and said, you say that just about every week, I will not say that this morning. This is not one of my favorite stories, in part because it's confusing. Where we pick up the story, it was sort of the midpoint in Jesus' brief ministry, about three years, and and sort of like this last week, the clouds were sort of hanging low over His ministry. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders of the day, they were making life increasingly difficult for Him. And his disciples were constantly bickering at each other. And it was pretty clear that they just weren't getting it, especially when he would talk to them about things like suffering and Jerusalem and, and the cross. And when he talked to them about, when he would say things to them like, in order to find your life, you must lose it, he, they would just sort of look back at him with blank stares. They weren't getting it. And then one day he took the leaders of the discipleship band, Peter and James and John, and just sort of withdrew them away from the others. And he led them up this, this high mountain, and there on that mountaintop, something happened. Something happened. We're not exactly sure what. It's typically referred to as the transfiguration, which is a fancy word that means something like change or metamorphosis. And so I invite you to open your hearts and your minds to receive this interesting story from Scripture, from Luke chapter 9.
1: The Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: There are some stories in the Scriptures, aren't there, that raise more questions than provide answers? And I would argue that this is one of those. We're still not exactly sure what happened on that mountain. The only thing that we know for sure is that whatever happened, whatever happened up there, it had a profound effect. It turned their lives inside out, turned them upside down. It was a true mountaintop experience in all the the ways that we mean that phrase, it changed them in the way that they were never quite the same again. Peter, did you hear that part of the story? Peter was so profoundly struck that he wanted to stay there forever. He wanted to stay there. Let's just build some, some places to stay and just live here. Moses and Elijah, though, they disappeared about as quickly as they showed up Pretty soon Jesus and the three disciples just sort of made their winding way back down the mountain. And did you hear, according to Luke, Luke says that they were stunned speechless. They didn't know what to say. They didn't talk about it with anyone, which makes me wonder how Luke ever heard of this story himself or whether or not he should write it down. Well, whatever happened on that mountaintop, we're not so sure. But what we do know is that those that were there, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. They knew that they were in the presence of the holy, that God was surely in that place. We all yearn for those moments, right? Those experiences in our lives when we can, when we can see God, when we can touch God, when we can hear God, when we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are in the presence of the holy. In the Celtic tradition, which has its roots in Ireland, there is a name for these places, for these experiences where where God's people feel uh, the presence of God in a powerful and deep way. They call them thin places, places where the separation between heaven and earth is thin. Places where heaven and earth touch, where we, can, where we can just sort of catch glimpses of the holy. Heaven and earth, the Celtic saying goes, are only three feet apart, but in those thin places, that distance, they say, is even shorter As one author puts it, there are places or events in life where the dividing line between the holy and the ordinary is very thin, to the point that the ordinary becomes holy and the holy becomes ordinary. Do you have a place like that in your life? A place where you can go and feel centered, to to feel that you're in the presence of God? Maybe it's your favorite coffee shop. Or a hiking trail, maybe it's your favorite beach, place by the lake, maybe, maybe it's a friend's living room or your mom's kitchen. Or maybe for you, this place is that place. Or maybe, maybe it's not really a place at all. But maybe it was an experience, a time when you just knew that you were in the presence of God. I had one of those one time. I was a freshman at TCU across the street. And one Sunday morning, I came to University Christian Church and I sat right back there. Now, I had been contemplating a life of ministry, being called into ministry. Actually, a couple of years before that, I had taken an aptitude test. And the number two thing on that list was clergy. Up to that point, I'd never thought in a million years that that would be my life, but yet there I was, sitting back there, and like you, I wasn't really paying attention to the sermon, I wasn't exactly (laughs) sure what was going on, but I was thinking in that moment about what I was to be about, what my life was to be about. And friends, I tell you this, as truthfully and as honestly as I can, that in that moment I heard a voice that said, Russ, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want your life to be about. That voice was so clear, so profound, that I literally turned around to see who was sitting behind me. And when there was no one in the pew behind me, I knew in that moment that I had better pay attention. Like Peter and James and John, I didn't say anything to anyone. But the next morning when the registrar's office opened, I went there and I changed my major. And I have been making my face towards ministry ever since. It was one of those moments one of those thin places, one of those mountaintop experiences that we all long for. It was one that quite literally changed the entire trajectory of my life. It was the defining moments of my story. In many ways, it's the reason that I'm standing here this morning. Now, parenthetically, I just need to say this because I know, I know that anytime I tell this story, the question is always, well, ministry was the number two thing. What was the number one? How many people were thinking about that? Yeah, some of you were. I knew you were. So I'm just going to tell you all right now, preschool teacher. <laughs> preschool teacher. But, and here's what I've come to discover in the last 35 years is there's a whole lot of similarities between <laughs> ministry and preschool. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of tantrums. There's a lot... Very, very similar. But that was one of those moments, that was one of those thin places for me when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was in the presence of the holy, the sacred, the divine. And so every time, every time I come into the sanctuary, I always feel the urge to remove my shoes because it was here. It was here that I encountered the divine in a very real way. But what I've come to discover in the 35 years since then is that God doesn't come to us that clearly very often, at least not to me. And at times that is enough to make us angry or frustrated or even doubt. And there have been times in my life, there have been times in my ministry that I feel like I have wandered hopelessly away from that voice that first called me all those many years ago. We all want those mountaintop experiences to live in those, those thin places, but, but unfortunately the reality is is that we can't always have those. We may want them desperately so that we can just sort of bypass the, the chaos and the challenge, the struggle. It's so much easier to, to spend time up there on the mountaintops rather than down in the valleys of this world. Where life is messy, ordinary, challenging. Doug Skinner is a retired disciples minister. He served a church in Dallas for a number of years, and I heard him speak one time, and he he pointed out, he said, we all want those mountaintop experiences, but most of life, he says, is lived on a broad plain. We all yearn for those peaks, but mostly what we get are plateaus. In Exodus 3, he reminded us there is this call upon Moses' life where he has this mountaintop experience as he goes up there and encounters the holy and the sacred and the divine. And God says to him in that moment, you will lead my people, he says, on a broad plain. We want those mountaintop experiences, but mostly what we get are broad plains. We want thin places, but more often than not, what we get is, well, life, routine, ordinary. But sometimes if we try hard enough, we can become aware enough that we can find those mountaintop moments even on the plateaus. Robert Fulgham tells a story of a woman who was incredibly stressed out by the day-to-day living that had become her life, and she wasn't sure that she could continue to cope, at least not in the way that she wanted to, and so she made an appointment to go see a psychiatrist. and She began to share with that psychiatrist about some of her struggles, about what was going on in her life, and, and after listening to her for a long time, he, he took out his prescription pad, and he tore off the top page and turned it over and began to write on the back and then handed it to her and says, this this is your prescription. And she looked at it and it said this. It said, you are to spend one hour on Sunday watching the sunrise while walking in a cemetery. You are to spend one hour on Sunday watching the sunrise while walking in a cemetery. And against her better judgment, she followed the advice And the following Sunday morning, as the sun came up, she stood in a cemetery, listening to the birds, watching the world sort of come alive around her. And all at once, she would later explain, all at once she found herself in touch with life again. She was grounded. She was whole. Whole. Maybe it's not so much a question of geography, these thin places, but it's a problem of vision. And by that I mean it's not so much that those thin places don't occur on the broad plains, it's just that we don't know how to see them, we don't know how to recognize them, we don't know how to perceive them. I recently encountered a book on renewing your preaching, which some of you are thinking, this is good news, we cannot wait. For you to finish that book. And one of the suggestions, though, that the author makes is to take part in the sacraments, those sacred moments in life, those sacred rituals. But he says, but but the sacraments that I'm talking about are different than you might think of. It's not baptism or marriage. No, no. He went on to offer his top 10 list of those sacred rituals in his life Things like spending time with friends, eating dessert, going for walks, just looking. He quoted a man by the name of Michael Goldman, who's an author and a poet, who said this He said, When the muse comes, she doesn't tell you to write. She says, Get up for a minute. I've got something to show you. Stand here. When the muse comes, she doesn't tell you to write. She simply says, I've got something for you to see. There are some people who are able to make life in the everyday into those thin places, who seem to have this ability to see the holy, to see the sacred, to see the divine in the common and the ordinary. People who are able to make mountaintops out of broad plains. When Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was doing her research for her famous book, On Death and Dying, she interviewed a woman who was part of a cleaning staff in a large hospital. This woman whose job it was to clean floors and empty wastebaskets and tidying up around patients' rooms, every time she would leave a room, the doctors and the nurses would notice that the patients in that room would have a sense of calm about them. They were more content. They were more at peace. The woman explained to Kubla Ross that she had known a lot of fear. She'd known a lot of tragedy in her life. There had been some good moments, too. But throughout all of them, there was always someone in her life that would help her see and to know in that moment of God's love. Both on the mountaintops and in the deep valley, there was always someone. That was there. She had those mountaintop experiences, those thin places, but she also spent time on the plateaus and even in the deep valleys of life. The worst, she said, was when her three-year-old son was ill with pneumonia. She brought him to the public health clinic, and yet he died in her arms while they waited their turn. Now, all of this could have made her bitter and angry. But she said to Kubler-Ross, you see, the dying patients, they're just like old acquaintances to me. And I'm not afraid to touch them, to talk to them, to offer them hope. Not long after that interview, the hospital decided to promote this woman. In fact, they created a new position for her. She was no longer part of the cleaning staff. They created a role for her to be special counselor to the dying. And she would visit from time to time people whose days were numbered but help them see the goodness in every moment. Back in 1985, just before my senior year in high school, About a year and a half before that moment that I spoke of a moment ago, I spent a week in the mountains of Northern California at church camp. Now, if you've ever been to church camp, you know that there is nothing like it in all the world. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) There is nothing like it in all the world. You are surrounded by love and light and hope. It is a true mountaintop experience. And I remember on Friday night, I remember on Friday night knowing that we were going to be leaving the next morning saying to my, to my youth minister, I said, Mike, I'm a little sad. I'm a little disappointed. I can't believe that tomorrow, tomorrow we have to go back to the real world. And he smiled at me and he says, no, Russ, no. We won't be going back to the real world. We'll be leaving it. You see, the world that God intends for us to live is one in which people are lifted and surrounded. People are loved and accepted. That's, that's the kingdom of God. That's the world that God desperately wants our lives to be about. And so it is with us as we make our pilgrimage through life that if we have the eyes to see, we will discover that there are thin places everywhere. That there are mountaintops on the broad plains, that God is everywhere, not just on the mountaintops, not just in the deep valleys, but also on the broad plateaus. And that if we have eyes to see, that we will encounter a God that comes to us face to face, not to see through us, but to see us through all of life. For that we say thanks.